Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I will take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we're devoting the whole show to recent developments in the sexual abuse crisis. First, a puzzling order from the Vatican telling the U.S. bishops not to vote on sexual abuse resolutions at their national meeting. Then, a key sexual abuse prosecutor is appointed to a top Vatican position. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. The U.S. bishops gather for their national meeting in Baltimore every November, and usually it's a pretty sleepy affair. Not a lot of media come. It's not often a big story. But this year, with all of the developments in the sexual abuse crisis, we had you know, the three big stories this summer with the accusations against Cardinal McCarrick being found credible and then him resigning from the College of Cardinals. We had that grand jury report out of Pennsylvania, and we had the Vigano accusations. And now we're seeing kind of waves of this in cities and states across the country. Um, sex abuse was expected to be the main discussion point at this meeting of the U.S. bishops, and the press kind of came out in droves. Everyone was expecting them to talk about this. And then yesterday, president of the USCCB, Cardinal Daniel DiNardo, stood up right as the meeting was opening and said, you know, the Vatican has asked us not to vote on any resolutions about sexual abuse at this meeting. They want us to wait until this international meeting at the Vatican about sexual abuse that's going to take place in February. Um, There have been a lot of theories floating around about why this happened, why this directive came down. I was wondering if before we get into any of the theories, you could provide any insight from Rome on this. Have you heard anything about why this happened? Well, nobody has actually said anything publicly. Uh, my understanding is that the meeting of the U.S. bishops is the meeting of one of the bishops' conferences around the world at this particular time, focusing on this question. Right. We should mention that bishops' conferences are, are groups of the bishops from one nation, usually. Yes. And uh, the Italian bishops will be discussing this very soon. Uh, the Mexican bishops will also be discussing it, also in Chile. So it's one of a number of events that the Vatican is watching carefully because Pope Francis has called a meeting of the presidents of all the bishops' conferences. I think there are about 127 of them, but from many more countries than that. Right. For February 21-24. Now, it was known that the American bishops were quite decided to arrive at some conclusions, some protocols that would be binding on the bishops. Right. Now, there are several factors here. First of all, this has been on the agenda of the bishops for some time, but they did not produce the documents for the conference, and several bishops have told me this, until about 10 days before. That's quite late. Right. I heard that they turned in the documents around October 30th, which only gave the Vatican a couple of weeks to look at them, which is why Cardinal DiNardo said that the Vatican only told him, you know, their response to this was to hold off on the voting, I guess, on Sunday afternoon. If you don't give people time enough to study the proposal, this is a problem. So my, my understanding is one of the reasons behind this is that uh, the Vatican may not have had time. And there's a second reason, I think. I, I mentioned that many bishops' conferences, I've named three of them already besides the Americans, are discussing uh, how they in their different countries will approach this. 
I think what the Vatican didn't really want was some country to have decided this is the way to go and coming with a, a kind of decision already made without readiness to listen to other parts of the world. I, I suspect this is the one of the factors that asks the bishops. They didn't say don't discuss it. They didn't say don't take straw votes. What they did, what the instruction from Rome was, that they should not formally vote. In other words, bind the conference on a position which, once Cardinal Dinardo comes to Rome and sits with the other presidents of bishops' conferences from around the world, he, he may well decide, Colin, he, he may well see, well, ah, maybe that's an aspect we hadn't thought of. So I, I think that if he comes with knowing the mind of the conference, knowing the position of the conference, but without having signed, seen, and delivered the protocol for the way ahead for the U.S. Bishops' Conference, uh, he, he may be find that he's in a better position when he goes back to lead the conference in a decision-making. Yeah, I, I understand that. It just seems like, you know, after all this talk following the Synod on Young People about synodality and the importance of you know, everyone kind of making these decisions at, at lower levels, right? It, it seems to kind of fly in the face of that. Well, synodality means walking together, not running ahead. Yeah, but if you're following this idea of subsidiarity, that's so important, this idea that, you know... Subsidiarity, yes, but it, this is a question where... They know the bishops in the United States knew very well that the Pope has called this meeting. What's I think from this side, it's difficult to understand why it took them so long to come up with their final proposals and why it took them so long to send them to Rome. Yeah, that's a good question. It also seems like there's in general just this, this breakdown in communication between Rome and the U.S. bishops, right? Not only with getting their documents in late and then thus forcing the approval to be gotten late, but just maybe a misunderstanding or a gap in understanding between these two groups about, you know, this is something that is, at least in the U.S., seen as a very, very urgent issue. And, you know, people are very upset about why this wasn't happening. Even the bishops, you know, the U.S. bishops at this meeting were very kind of taken aback by this uh, intervention. I just, it seems like, you know, the Vatican isn't paying attention to that in, in some way. I, I think this is really to misinterpret the Vatican's position. I think it's an urgent issue in many countries, not just the United States. Of course, right. And secondly, if it was so urgent, how is it it took so long to produce the draft protocols? Because I've heard from U.S. bishops saying, why is it taking so long to give us the documents? Normally, in preparation for the spring or the autumn plenary, texts will come in advance. What actually happened inside the conference itself? Right, and that's an executive? important question. We don't know that, and I think it's a question on your side, not here. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and certainly... It is a big question, right? Lots of journalists, including Michael Laughlin from America Media, who's our national correspondent, is, you know, they're at the meeting and they're trying to dig into what happened here and why there was not only maybe a lack of a sense of urgency on the Vatican's part, but also on the part of the U.S. Bishops' Conference. I remember when 
the Pennsylvania grand jury report came out and when all of this was really, really heating up this summer, people were calling for the bishops to move up their meeting or to have a meeting immediately. Um, and people were upset that they waited even until the November meeting. I, I think there's also a question of, you know, it's important not to rush. I, I remember when the American cardinals came to Rome, called by John Paul II in 2002, at the type, height of the Boston uh, scandal, they were rushing. There was a lot of rushing at the end to try and get a final agreement, final documents, etc. These are important decisions, and it's important not to get them wrong. It's clear now that the Dallas Charter was deficient. The Dallas Charter is the informal name for the set of resolutions that the U.S. bishops passed following the first wave of sexual abuse accusations in 2002. It included instructions on what to do if a priest sexually abused someone, but it didn't include any consequences for bishops who covered up abuse or who themselves committed abuse. It dealt with priests. It didn't deal with the bishops. If they'd spend a little more time, maybe they would have reflected more fully on this. And in 16 years since the Dallas chapter, it has taken still a long time before they actually struggled 10 days before or so to produce draft proposals. Well, it's exactly that like 16-year delay that I feel like makes the case for why they should rush into it. Like it, it seems to me at least from this side that the US bishops, you know, it would be better for them to get something down on paper, get some resolutions down, agree on them, and then if that gets fine-tuned at the Vatican meeting or if, you know, what they decide on on the bishops' level is not canonically binding, right? It's not something that they have to follow or face consequences on, whereas whatever comes out of the Vatican meeting in February will be. This issue of what is canonically binding, in other words, what is church law and carries consequences in the church for not obeying it, isn't something that Jerry and I got to speak much about, but it's a main point that's being raised in response to the Vatican's instruction for the bishops not to vote on sexual abuse resolutions. Some people think that the Vatican might have rejected the U.S. bishops' proposal to vote on sexual abuse resolutions because there were canonical problems with the document they proposed. In general, bishops' conferences don't have any standing in church law as official church structures, so that makes it easy for these canonical issues to arise when we're dealing with the bishops' conferences. Jerry, do you think that there's any chance that this order came down from Francis, like through the Congregation for Bishops? Donardo said he wasn't sure if that was the case or not. Well, I, I don't know where the authority came from. Surely from the Secretary of State. I, I, I can't imagine Cardinal Wellet just moving on his own without at least clearing it with the Secretary of State. And Cardinal Wellet is the head of the Congregation for Bishops? Cardinal Wellet is the Canadian head of the Congregation of Bishops appointed by Pope Benedict in 2010. So he's been there a long time. He's a man with a lot of experience. He will be aware of the situation in the United States. I mean, he's Canadian, so he would have followed that fairly closely, I think. Somebody else who also um, is very familiar with the situation in the U.S. is the papal ambassador, the nuncio to the U.S., Christophe Pierre, who met with Francis on Saturday. Um, I was wondering if you could talk at all about that and maybe the role of that meeting in this. Do you think that this was something they talked about? Well, I, I just wonder if Christophe Pierre, the archbishop who is the nuncio, uh, actually brought the documents to Rome. I, I don't know. He saw the Pope on Saturday morning. Right. So too did Cardinal Ouellette, mm -hmm. independently. 
Cardinal Ouellette usually meets the Pope on every Saturday morning. Archbishop Pierre obviously will have briefed the Pope on what is happening in the United States. We've had no indication whatsoever of what he and the Pope spoke about, but it's almost certain they would have spoken about the meeting in Baltimore. Right. And remember that the Pope has this on his front burner. It's a, he realizes this is the priority issues that's undermining the whole, the abuse question is undermining the ability of the church to preach the gospel, to reach out to people. It's undermining the credibility of the church. And that's also why today he has brought in the church's top expert on the abuse question, Archbishop Shikluna from Malta, and now appointed him to a joint number two position in the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, giving him, people say here, enormous authority and uh, ability to lead the preparation for the February meeting, but also to lead the church's efforts to combat the abuse. Right. And we should we should mention that Shikluna, Archbishop Shikluna was the person who last fall or early in the spring when, you know, Pope Francis made those remarks about the situation in Chile and he was kind of skeptical of the claims that some of the alleged victims of sexual abuse in Chile were bringing forward, he actually sent in Shikluna to investigate. And Shikluna came back with all this information and this sizable report that uh, kind of changed Francis's approach in that country uh, on sexual abuse, made him apologize for his earlier comments that were more skeptical. And, and he kind of took a different approach after that one that was more listening to the victims. And that preempted that mass resignation of the Chilean bishops that we saw. Well, Colleen, Archbishop Shikluna, he was born in Toronto, by the way, and he's he's a brilliant man, extraordinary sense of humor, very funny, and uh, also a very peaceful man. But he's got degrees in civil law and in canon law. And uh, the people who know him well say he's got a razor sharp mind and immense empathy for the victims. And uh, he, he, of course, was the one who brought uh, the founder of the Legionaries of Christ, Marcel de Golado, to his end in, in career in the church. This man Jerry just mentioned, Marcel Marcel de Golado, in addition to founding the Legionaries of Christ, was known as, quote, the greatest fundraiser in the church. But later in life, it was revealed that he had abused boys and young men and had relations with two women, one of whom was a minor. And he allegedly abused two of the children that he had with those women as well. It's a horrible story. So Shakluna certainly has a lot of credibility in this area, a lot of experience. We know that he's aggressive on abuse. Um, how do you think that's going to shape the bishop's meeting in February, where he'll be in kind of a big decision-making and planning position? Look, Shikluna has enormous credibility among the survivors, first of all, but also around the, the bishops around the world. They recognize his work. He also made some enemies because some of them didn't like the zero policy of Benedict. That's the zero tolerance policy? Exactly, the zero tolerance policy. And so uh, they kind of started attacking Shikluna. But Benedict protected him. And uh, Francis has seen that Shikluna is the man to lead the effort to eliminate the abuse in the church. And by appointing him today to this thing, even though he will share 
part of the time he will remain Archbishop of Malta, part of the time he'll be in Rome. But it's a very clear indi indicator that the Pope wants the top man guiding the preparation. And obviously, Shikluna will speak at this meeting, I'm sure. I, I think uh, it, this is good news from the point of view of victims, from the point of view of those who really want to clean up the Church's Act in this whole field. Yeah, it does just kind of still seem like, you know, it's hard for Americans, especially right now, to to look beyond what it appears to be, you know, the Vatican really dragging their feet on this issue. Like, I think they'll say, you know, Archbishop Cicluna, you know, is a great step forward in, in planning for this and in taking, you know, charge on a Vatican level. But it, it also does seem like there's still this, this big problem with communication and, and with an understanding between Rome and the USCCB right now. Well, so certainly the whole of the communications, but did Rome get the information sufficient time in advance to assess it fully? Yeah, I'm certainly saying like the breakdown in communication is the fault of is, is the fault of everyone here. It may not just be the fault of Rome. No, right. I don't know. I'm just saying. But I, I think the Shikluna appointment is a very clear signal from the Pope that he means business. Yeah. And that he wants a resolution. And maybe what the February meeting will decide on, maybe even protocols that are tougher maybe than what the U.S. bishops had imagined. Yeah, I've been hearing that. There, there may be canon law strictures. We don't know. Right. Yeah, it does just seem like, you know, it seems like we're just like reacting at this point rather than rather than being proactive. Well, I, I know people like instant solutions and uh, uh, in a corporate mentality, if a, if a manager or CEO isn't delivering results, he, he's thrown out and somebody else is put in. But uh, this is also the church. And this is an issue that's deep, not just within the church. The abuse of children, very deep also in society and not being addressed much in society. And I, I think uh, there's a great awareness of that. Uh, the Pope is determined that the church becomes clean, clean on this, that there's no such thing as cover-up. Mm -hmm. And if there's any fault in the Vatican to date, I would say, is in not making clear when a bishop hands in his resignation and the Vatican announces this bishop has resigned. They should say he's resigned because he covered up or because he had abused. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, at the February meeting, I expect there will be several people asking for transparency as well as accountability. Absolutely. Another place where we, where we see people calling for transparency in this a lot, especially uh, in the Vatican, or like from a Vatican angle, is people are calling for there to be more channels, official channels for reporting people who might be like above someone in the hierarchy, right? It's hard for you to report your own bishop if you're a priest in a diocese because you can't go to a different bishop, etc. Um, do you think that these calls for transparency will be will be heard and, and acted on in that February meeting? Do you think that's likely? I think Pope, Pope Francis is making it very clear that he he wants transparency and he wants accountability. Remember, in uh, was it one or two years ago, he issued an edict, uh, a decree, whereby a bishop who ignores, neglects, or fails in other ways to protect children or covers up 
can be removed from office. I, I think this may be even clearer in the February meeting. America Media will be covering the plans for that February meeting, along with the U.S. bishops' meeting this week and the ongoing sexual abuse crisis in the church. You can find all of our news and analysis, as well as spiritual resources, at americamagazine.org. Inside the Vatican is produced by me, Colleen Dully, and edited by Oliver Lazarus. Our executive producer is Eric Sundrup. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Kieran Freeman. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media, I'm Colleen Dully with Gerard O'Connell. See you next week.